Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. This week on Meet and Three, we're bringing you four stories about lost and found culinary treasures. We are searching for what will be lost and we're trying to rejuvenate it. What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve them for the future. It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just, it's, there's nothing like it. You know, there's, there's nothing like it. When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Bushwick Roberts in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Peter Horan, who um, joined me on episode 143 with Takuya Shimomura of Kramoto US to talk about um, the great boutique sake labels that they represent in this country. And Peter recently spent six weeks in Japan to study sake making at eight breweries in Toro. So today we'll discuss his intriguing experience at each brewery, along with an academic program he took in Tokyo, how he got on multiple media in Japan, and much, much more. But uh, before we start, Japan Needs is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and now on Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about the topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org. And um, now, let's start a conversation with Peter Orr. Welcome back, Peter. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back. Yeah, so um, I'm so excited about the really interesting experience. So for listeners who have not listened to episode 143, uh, let's talk about your background briefly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I am part of Kuromoto US, or as some people know as Sake Man. So we do have, you know, this promotional side where we have these great wrestling masks to help promote sake, and we have events all over the country. Uh, I'm based in New York. Last night we actually had a great event in uh, Midtown in Manhattan, promoting sake, getting lots of people interested in drinking sake. Mm. And our company, Kuromoto US, is actually uh, about 24 years old now. They were the first ones to start refrigerated shipping from Japan. So all of the great chilled sake, you know, fresh nama, unpasteurized sake, all of these things that we have, all these great flavors we enjoy now are all starting from this company 24 mm. years ago. Right. And the parent company, JCTO, mm-hmm. that's an interesting company, right? Yeah, yeah. So right when they started all those years ago, 
JCTO was founded by, I think, five at that time, plus they had some, you know, partial investors, people who were interested, and all of these breweries getting together that most of them founded in the, um, in what, in the 1800s, and thinking about how can sake evolve, how can we get it to other places in the world, what can we do to keep improving on sake? Mm. And so they came together and they kind of formed this company to start the refrigerated shipping. Mm, right. And all those uh, breweries, uh, that's all on the website, but it's amazing collection of yeah, beautiful it's, labels. it's really pretty impressive. And, you know, this time in Japan, I got to visit quite a few of them. Like you said, I was working at eight different breweries and exploring their past. And it's one thing reading about it, but then hearing someone say like, oh, yeah, you know, my great grandfather mm. 200 years ago was <laughs> doing this, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, reading a book and doing things. And yeah. it could be different. So different. And that was kind of, I think, the summary of my experience this time that I've taken so many sake classes on tasting, on production. I help out with staff training for restaurants all across the East Coast and talking to servers, talking to customers, talking to anyone who will listen really about, you know, how do we make sake? What's in it? You know, what kind of food can we eat with it? Mm. And then actually going to get you know, to talk to these people who are making it, who've mm -hmm. been making it for years and years, and this is their whole life, and they're 11th generation head of a family, and this is the family business forever, and, hey. you know, really feeling the impact. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I want to mention uh, about you, though, uh, you are, you know, you lived in Japan. Yes. And you studied and you worked in Japan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so starting in, uh, you know, university, I did a study abroad kind of on a whim. At first, I was always interested in in Japanese culture and Japanese food, as I'm sure many of your listeners are. That's why they're here. Um, but I decided, you know, like, this was a great chance in my life, like, in college, just to go. Lots of support. And then I really kind of caught the bug, because ever since then, I've gone back every year. Uh, I studied Japanese language. I moved to Japan for two years. And I'd been interested in, you know, restaurant business, in food marketing, and uh, my job now with the sake company is really kind of a mm. combination of all of my interests coming together. Right. And uh, just to add one more thing, you are athletic and judo. So yes. you understand that part of Japanese culture yeah, as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's another big part of our company with Sakeman. It's very focused on judo and the teachings, but also athleticism and mm. staying healthy and promoting that image as well. Right. So wrestling mask is not just a joke. It's yeah. A, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's serious. very serious stuff. <laughs> right. Okay. So... Um, yeah, so you, let's talk about your amazing mm -hmm. experience. Um, so how did it happen? You decided, I want to go, let me work. Yeah, so, you know, I got this job originally when I had moved back from living in Tokyo. And I was kind of looking for a job with a Japanese company and in the back of my mind thinking, okay, you know, I'll live in New York now, but maybe I can find a job and they'll send me to Japan. I can still go back sometimes. And... You know, I found this incredible job dealing with Japanese sake, and it now not only has let me go back there, but helps me kind of spread <laughs> Japanese culture in the U.S. also. Mm. But when I was talking to, you know, Takia, who was here with me last time, um, we were talking about kind of the importance of not only, you know, drinking sake and understanding it from the consumer side, but really getting to know it and being able to make it and study it. Mm, right. So uh, it's kind of training program. Yeah, the training <laughs> program. And then, you know, I didn't really know what I was getting into. It turned into a very serious, intense <laughs> training program, not right. just, you know, one week trip and 
standing by and watching, but actually hands-on waking up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning mm. to go, you know. Yeah, well, conveniently, you're well-trained, so. Yeah, 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 <laughs> conveniently right. I've been working out and speaking Japanese, so it, right. it wasn't totally a shock. <laughs> right. Um, so how long, had, or how, what period did you go? Yeah, so I left at the end of January, and I was there until the first week of March. Wow. Yeah, it was about 38 days. Mm. And 38 days is, you know, sounds like a long time, but it feels even longer when you're in a hotel and moving to a new city every two or three days. Mm. So it's right. a long trip. Right. But wow, must be really life changing. Yeah, know? yeah. No, in no way would I have given that up. That was amazing. Mm. Right. So, um, so uh, obviously, you visited your, you know, the, the breweries that we mm -hmm. present. Um, so before we get into each brewery, what's the process of traditional sake making so that we can just get a sense of yeah, so, what you did? Right, so you have some idea of what actually I was yeah. doing the whole time. Mm. So the process of sake making is, you know, everyone calls it like a Japanese wine or rice wine, but it's actually closer to something like beer. It's a brewed beverage. So basically the steps to making sake are we're going to take our rice, whatever we decide that's going to be. They polish the outside grains to get, you know, more specific flavor profiles, remove some of the uh, fats and proteins, more scientific side. Uh, they're going to wash that rice off and then they are going to soak it in water to get good moisture content, all the water we need for making koji. And we're going to steam the rice, and then it's going to split off, and some of it's going to stay as pure steamed rice, and some will be made into koji, which I'm sure you've talked about on your show before. <laughs> um, and then the koji, the rice, and then water and yeast is added into a big tank. And that's, you know, people who are familiar with beer making, that's our mash. And we start with a small mash, and we do three additions. Everything's added in, and over... About, you know, 25 to 30 days, mm, it's going to so become... So that it doesn't be over... over right, right, because everything... Fed, right? Yeah, <laughs> everything in there is a really delicate living organism, our yeast, our koji. These are all, you know, really living things. Mm. And so it's all about kind of controlling the population, making sure they have enough food, but that it's not welcoming to bad bacteria getting in mm. and spoiling it. Right. So they keep it as a kind of small batch, a starter and let it kind of populate and get really strong. And then they'll add more ingredients, increase the size a little bit, mm. let it strengthen up again, and then keep adding until we have our nice big batch. Mm. And let it sit, let it ferment, let the koji turn the starch and the rice right. into sugar, mm. and then yeast into alcohol. Right, so that process mm -hmm. up to now, so you have to... First of all, you have to clean everywhere. Everything constantly. Right. Yeah. Because it's such a bacteria, mm -hmm. you know, sensitive environment. Yeah. And you have to carry huge rice. Yeah. And then <laughs> Yeah. Carrying bags of rice, carrying water, carrying, you know, all these cloths, things that uh, have to be washed constantly. Right. And the importance of water is really felt when you're in the brewery because you have to wear these big rubber boots. Mm. And just because, you know, like time constraints and everything there's often hoses running they're adding in water or washing something off and there's just kind of water flowing throughout the brewery all mm. the time 
And so you're kind of ankle deep in water and you really feel like it's everywhere. It's in every part of the process. Mm, right. So, and also, um, you know, when the koji is being kind of grown mm -hmm. on rice, it's such a delicate process you have to watch. Yeah. Right. It's not like you can't leave it to the machine. Right. So it's a right, right, 24 right. hour. Yeah, yeah, it has to be kept under pretty strict watch. And the, uh, the toji or the master brewer oftentimes has to come in the middle of the night and kind of babysit. And there's uh, multiple steps. There's about seven steps in the process. And because it is a living thing, it needs to, at certain points, be broken up, let the heat out, let it breathe, and so that it doesn't overheat and kind of kill itself off. Mm. So you have to constantly kind of babysit it and monitor it. Right. So it's... Um It's very delicate process and um, has to be clean mm -hmm. <laughs> all the time. Very clean. Right. Yeah. One of the words, uh, I think the two words I heard most often when I was there were zakin, mm -hmm. which is like bad bacteria, and arau, which is washing. Mm. So it was either, you know, wash your hands, wash the rice, wash this, wash that, <laughs> you know, constantly being told to wash something. Mm, just like sushi chef. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Without vinegar. Yeah. And especially as, you know, the kind of new person on the scene who is there for two or three days. I didn't know everything. I couldn't help with everything, mm. but I could always wash something. Mm. So they said, okay, go wash, go wash, go wash. <laughs> I'm sure you came back in New York. Your house is even cleaner than Yeah, before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pruned hands. It's right. like I had all new hands. <laughs> right. So, okay. Um, so the, the period, the sake-making period from mm -hmm. November, November to March, yeah. right? So you are there at the peak time yeah so i was there at the peak time i was there uh i've made a few jokes since i've been back for shinshu season which is the new sake so in the process right around you know new year's just about end of january when i was there they have uh releases of kind of the first batch of the year mm. and the the new sake that's got its own kind of particular taste but japanese food is very seasonal everything's celebrated for the time that it's made and produced and So that was Shinshu time, and I keep saying, like, okay, I'm done with Shinshu. Like, I've had enough. Mm. Everywhere I went, that's, that's what <laughs> right. we were drinking everywhere. Right. Well, that's such a precious thing, though. Mm -hmm. right? it's, it's so hard to yeah. find. Yeah, outside. it's so hard to find here, mm. and now I'm, you know, totally spoiled. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It sounds like you have to keep going back every yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right, so let's talk about um, the brewery. So mm -hmm. the first I was curious, uh, the Tsuji Honten Brewery, uh, Gozenshu Sake is the label. Yes. In uh, Katsuyama. In Katsuyama. Yeah. In Katsuyama in Okayama. Mm -hmm. That's the first brewery I went to. Um, and they started in 1804. And currently they're run by a brother and sister team. The sister is the head brewer and the brother is the president of the brewery. And that was great. You know, they kept apologizing to me and saying, sorry, sorry, everything's so old. Everything's, you know, a little antique here. <laughs> uh, the building, their brewery, where they're making sake is over 200 years old. So they kept saying, you know, I'm sorry, like, watch your step. Like, mm. you know, it'll be okay. Um, and I had to reassure them, like, this is exactly what I wanted. You know, this is why I'm here to really see mm. these things. And uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, that was my first impression of Like, this is what it means to brew sake. Because mm. I remember we were bringing the rice out of the steamer to cool down and to make into koji. Mm. And the, the head brewer came over and she looked at me and she said, this needs to be exactly 50 degrees. Mm. So I said, okay, no problem. Getting ready, you know, they'll take out equipment, anything. And she stuck her hands right in the rice. And she said, okay, this is 50. 
Wow. And she knew just like that. <laughs> right. Wow. She said, this needs to be exactly 50, not 51, not 49. Mm. And then just with her hand, she said, okay, this she is 50. Knows. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and you said she, yes. female, told yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty rare, mm. but it's really exciting. Um, I know some stores recently have been kind of featuring uh, for... For March, they're featuring, you know, Women's Month, Women Brewers, and it's really exciting because they are kind of rare. Um, but she definitely, you know, isn't slowed down by that fact in any way. She's keeping up with the best of the best. Mm. And, yeah, it's really impressive, and it's it's really, it's hard work. Right. Waking up early, there's no days off in the brewing season. Mm. Right, and lately, um, it's uh, the more female brewers mm-hmm. coming to the whole industry. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, last year, there's a female Toji at mm-hmm. the age of 22. She's, she is wow. the winner of the gold medal. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a good, uh, I think, the silver lining. You know? Yeah, you know, and I think it sets a really good precedent that I was at some breweries where they had a few female workers and they would ask me like, okay, you've been to you know lots of breweries. Like, what's it like in other places? And I told them the first brewery I visited had a female Toji and they were all... You know, could, you could kind of see it in their eyes. They were really proud. They were really excited. Right. And that meant for them, too, you know, they could do that one day. Mm. I mean, there's no reason. There's no reason not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, that's the traditional. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so next, that's the, the Shiragiku yes. Shuzo. So really? Shiragiku Shuzo, also mm-hmm. in Okayama. They're in Bichu Takahashi. Mm. And they started in 1886. So they're a really incredible brewery based off their rice. And I remember talking to the president the first day I was there, and he's kind of talking about his philosophy, and it boiled down to something like, you know, no breweries really use Asahi rice. Mm. This one kind that's kind of table rice, it's not really used often for sake making. So their thought is, okay, we should try that one then. Mm. And they have actually two rices that they're the only ones in the world that use those rice. And they kind of found them by chance and really love them. So they have their own fields where they plant the seedlings every year. And they regrew those rices from 55 grains to be able to make sake Mm. with them. So I think it took over 10 years for each one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Such a forward-minded place. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, the the owner of the brewery, uh, the former owner was his older brother, but he just kind of finds these things and he gets kind of possessed and he says like okay i want to use that Mm. and you know there's no reason he should no one else uses it you know he doesn't know how it's going to turn out but he says like i want to use this let's do it Mm. so it's uh always there's some uh, kind of bold um evolution that happens in the tradition that's why tradition yeah exactly yeah and that's why we get these great new traditions Mm. okay and uh, I heard that you on TV, at the local TV. Yeah, yeah. So they were making uh, kimoto, which is the traditional style, which includes, you know, a long time ago, singing songs so you can keep in rhythm and using these giant paddles to break up the rice and stir it so that the fermentation can kind of begin. Mm. So before they used lactic acid, they needed to get the natural bacteria from the air. Mm. And they found for some reason that stirring it with these poles kind of help the bacteria congregate and produce what they needed. Hmm. So it has to be all done rhythmically all at the same time. And that brewery only has four workers. Mm. So they invite people from all over the area, kind of local fans of the brewery, 
to come and help out. So they had 20 local people, maybe 22, somewhere around there. And we got a little bit of a lecture from the head brewer and the president. And they had a local TV station film the entire process. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's <laughs> a whole community Yeah, effort. so it was really nice. And, you know, they were talking about, you know, the yeast and the, uh, the bacteria is coming from all of you today. So mm. today's sake has a piece of each of you. Right. And it'll change every year. Mm. And then they kind of looked at me and said, and today we'll have New York yeast also. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh, please. Yeah. <laughs> right. Interesting. So, and the next one, uh, this uh, Tenzan. Tenzan. Yeah, we talked about it in the previous episode, but yeah. uh, I just want to hear what you learned. Mm-hmm. It's such a great, forward-minded. Yeah, theory. yeah, it's really incredible. Um I'd been to these other breweries, which were a little more traditional, uh, had some older, you know, facilities and technology. And when I went to Tenzan, it really kind of hit me the, you know, scientific equipment they were using to do the measures of glucose and the uh, amino acid, you know, all of the levels they're checking throughout the process, where other breweries are using beakers that they're using a light for something you might see in a high school chemistry class. They had really, you know, evolved very high tech equipment Mm. and they actually have this huge machine that's uh, special ordered from Italy. It's the only bottling machine of its kind in Japan, Um, which is really amazing, but you know, kind of put into these hundred year old buildings, Mm. which is a little funny to see. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So, oh, that's why uh, their sake is more like, you know, that can uh, go with, well with Western food. Yeah, yeah. Say. So it's got a little bit of that influence. But they talked about, too, kind of the, the flavors of, uh, of Ogi City, of Saga Prefecture. And the, the owner, Mr. Shichida, really wanted me to try, you know, Saga beef and try some of their local cuisine and told me kind of after dinner, he'd always say, like, I want you, I'm glad you enjoyed dinner. I want you to really remember these flavors because... This is what goes with our sake, and it's, mm. you know, about these kind of local flavors and local connections. So if there's any way you think you can bring this back with you, this is what I want people to know about us. Mm. Right. So you have to export beef, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that'll be next. <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, the next one's Hatsumomiji Brewery. Yes. Hatsumomiji. So that was in Yamaguchi Prefecture in Shunan City, and they started in 1819. Um, but they actually had shut down for about 20 years. Mm. And they're a very small brewery, very old equipment. They have five people there now. And two of those people are, um, what? It was Tenchan and Takachan, and they're 18 and 20. What? <laughs> so they're, they had recently graduated a high school that has a small brewery in it. And their high school has an after-school program and a class for making sake. Wow. It's the only one in Japan. And they went, and I was talking to one of them, like, how in the world? Like, I was talking to her, like, you're 18. Like, how in the world are you here? How did this happen? And she said, you know, oh, one of my upperclassmen kind of invited me to try this club, and I thought it was interesting. And it's, like, amazing that they were doing this in high school, and now... They're 18, 20 years old, brewing sake full-time. Right. Well, the Japanese drinking age is 20, so... Yeah, yeah, I know. I was <laughs> asking, like, I stopped one day and said, wait a second, 
Like, you're making sake, but you can't drink it. She kind of smiled and said, yeah, yeah. you know, in another two years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, unofficially. Um, all right. So, oh, that's crazy. I, I want to see that school, too. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was so interested. And they're, you know, they had a really small building. They're actually, the building with their brewery is shared with an izakaya. Mm. Um, it's right in the middle of the city. It's a really small production. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully I can, one day I can get to visit them. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, actually their brewery and the next one I think we're going to talk about mm. are in the same city and they have a tour, a sake taxi called a takshu. Mm. And it takes you around to the three breweries in the city. Oh, cool. Yeah, and you can kind of do a little tour and sampling at each one. Mm. Well, that's not a good reason, right, to utilize the full potential of mm-hmm. the, the town or city. Yeah, and, you know, certainly all of these breweries, they're in the same industry. They've been around for so incredibly long, and they're, you know, not fighting in any way. They love to promote sake in general mm. and to have people... You know, be able to experience all of the breweries and really get as much of it as possible. Mm, so the bigger the pie, the merrier. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. So and also they they revived the brewery after twenty years. Yeah, after twenty years. So the current owner, Mr. Harada, and that's the the label that we have in the U.S. Also, he um, had spent a lot of time working as a sake sommelier and winning tons of competitions, and he has a really incredible palate. And then he came back and restarted his family brewery. Mm. And, you know, he has this incredible taste, incredible palate that he's known for. And so now he makes sake that he wants to drink. Mm, that's nice. So that's the more adjustment to the modern palate. Yeah. means good for the future of the sake industry. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's just go quickly. The, the, is that the Yamagata Honten? Mm-hmm. Right. Because we, we talked about it too, the last... Um, episode, but it's the, the, actually the founder of the Kramoto. Yes, US? actually the founder of the uh, oh, the JCTO of JCTO of yeah. our company, and uh, you know he's also in charge of a brewery Yamagata Honten. So they started in 1875, and they're on that taxi tour also. Mm. They're in the same city, and they're really great. They just got a new brewer in the last few years, who's actually marrying into the family. So mm. it's a nice big family business right. now. Wow. Yeah. And it's, you know, they have a lot of history. They have a lot of ties with uh, the old samurai families, like we talked about last time. Mm, I was excited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they have a lot of that, um, those names carried into their labels. So, like, Moriko is for Morisan, who is an old samurai figure in their area. Mm, okay. So, the history, but the new flavor. Yeah, of, exactly. Right. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, okay, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we continue our conversation. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Coin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the well natural sharpening stones. 
They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Damon Bolte. And I'm Souther Teague. Together we host The Speakeasy, a show where we discuss cocktails, spirits, wine, beer, tea, coffee, and all things in the liquid universe. Yeah, our guests range from bartenders and brewers, alchemists and ambassadors, roasters and regulars, hippies and home brewers, and every expert enthusiast in between. <laughs> Browse episodes of The Speakeasy wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Podcast Live from the Studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Hikotema, and my guest today is Peter Horam of Kramoto, US, also known as uh, Sakeman Green. And we are discussing uh, Peter's unique experience at Sake Breweries, where he helped to make sake for six weeks uh, last winter. Okay, so let's continue our conversation about the brewery. So the next one is Nate yes. Brewery. Nate Brewery in Wakayama. And they started in 1866. Uh, really great brewery, kind of utilizing all these different aspects from different areas. When you're in Okayama, say, that's kind of the home of omachi rice. And so it's all about, you know, local pride and local tradition and using that. And then when I was in Wakayama, they kind of said, well, we just want to use kind of the best stuff. So they brought omachi from Okayama. They have Yamada Nishiki from Hyogo. They have all sorts of different things and mm. really making oh, wow. great sake. Yeah. And they use only Jumai? Mostly Jumai? Um, Jumai style. Mm, a style. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So that means Jumai. Yeah, so Jumai, Jumai Ginjo. So no jumai added alcohol. Right. Right. So the pure flavor. But it can be Jumai Ginjo. Yeah, ginjo. yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. But so definitely for any listeners who are interested in ever making sake... I talked to the head brewer there, and I told him I would be on the show, and if he had any message, and he said, you know, we need some more workers. So if anyone wants to come from New York <laughs> to brew sake, send them over. Right, someone, uh, whoever, is yeah. as, as strong as confident. Right? But it's a really fun experience, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, the next one is a Suihiro Brewery. Mm-hmm. Suihiro Brewery started in 1850. Uh, as we talked about on the last episode, kind of the the founding place of Yamaha-style sake, mm. which is pretty incredible in itself, but also in Aizu Wakamatsu in Fukushima, which is, you know, just incredible kind of samurai history right. and the rich, you know, history there. And um, the owner of the brewery, actually, too, is related to uh, Dr. Noguchi. So when we were taking a tour of his brewery, uh, they have a line dedicated to him, which... We didn't realize at the time, but he showed us an old family photo and mm. kind of family room. And he pointed at him and said, like, oh, do you know who this is? And we were trying to look, like, mm, not sure. And he took out, you know, a thousand yen note. Um. He said, like, you know this guy. <laughs> right, so Dr. Hideo Noguchi. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. It's a full yeah. of history. In yeah, it w- that was, like, the most historical, like, really interesting. Um, we talked about... You know, if you're familiar with the Byakutai, kind of famous samurai group in mm. uh, in Japan, 
and learning about them, learning about uh, the samurai history at the castle, which he's also involved in. Um, yeah, learning about Noguchi, everyone. Yeah. Interesting. So, oh, I wish we had more time, but maybe you could just yeah. do the detailed version next time. But uh, yeah, so um, that's the well, just in Fukushima, and I, mm-hmm. Fukushima obviously it's really you know clear the name. The sake is clean, yeah. even cleaner than other region people right. say. Yeah, yeah, they've chicken. been working really hard, and you know they still have some kind of stigmatism about mm. people worried about products coming from Fukushima, but you know we always. Reassure people that they, you know, if you think you're worried, they're the ones who live there. They're even more worried. Right. And so they have even higher standards of measuring everything, of controlling. And, you know, nothing would ever leave there if it wasn't safe. Mm. But they've had to work really hard to kind of promote their right. image back up. Mm. So it's working. Yeah, definitely working. Right. So let's drink Fukushima sake. Yes. Right. Okay. So the next one, uh, the Asabiraki Brewery. Yeah. Asabiraki is a really great brewery in Iwate, and they started in 1871. And one of the, you know, great things about their brewery is their head brewer, and uh, he's one of the most awarded uh, brewers in Japan. Mm. And to the point where they were taking us through the brewery, and uh, they were explaining how this is the second brewery they've rebuilt. And they took us to kind of this trophy room with plaques and awards everywhere.、Mm. And they said, yeah, when we were rebuilding, you know, we had to make a bigger room just to show all the trophies because before <laughs> there wasn't enough room to hang everything up. Wow.、Yeah. So I looked up and his name is Masahiko Fujio. Yes, Fujio san. Right. And then even、uh, the Japanese government granted the very、um, important、uh, kind of award as modern. Uh, outstanding craftsman. Yeah. That's got kind of amazing. Yeah,、title. like he's kind of received these honors of, you know, the highest possible level of a craftsman in Japan. And he was telling us basically in the last 30 years, he's won, I think, 26 or 27 of the national competitions for sake. Oh, wow. <laughs> And, you know, they were showing us not only the national, but for Tohoku, for their region, for Iwate. For Nambutoji, which is kind of the famous school of brewers,、mm. and he's gotten first place in all of those categories, you know, 28 out of 30 times.、Mm, so we have to drink the sake. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Asabiraki.、Mm-hmm. That's a brand. Okay. So, and, so that's that about the breweries, but you also attended the, the Japanese Sake and Shochu Market, Mark, Makers Association Academy、yes. in Tokyo. So, what is it? Yeah, so it's kind of a long title and a little hard to understand, but basically, they're the people who are、um, behind kind of the sake industry on the government side. So, people from、uh, like the National Research Institute of Brewing, the people who are doing the research on sake yeast and where breweries buy yeast from,、mm. um, the people who are doing all the kind of leading、uh, research on. What sake is, how it's made, and the minute chemical differences.、Mm. So, hearing you know, the people who research the yeast and the DNA strains of them, they're the ones teaching us about yeast、mm. in that class.、Wow. So, it's really pretty incredible. The direct source. Yeah. Wow. So, that was、uh, how many days did you? So, that was one week. We had、uh, two days with various lectures for sake. 
And on the Wednesday, we actually got to visit another brewery. Mm. So that was my ninth brewery while I was in Japan. <laughs> uh, we went to Izumibashi mm. and got to kind of tour their facility. And then we did two days on Shochu also. Wow, awesome. So anyone can、uh, sign up for it? So it's a little competitive. You have to write an essay.、Um, it's mostly focused on industry people.、Mm. And there's a lot of really, really impressive people there. I met. Sake educators from Singapore,、um, you know, winners of world sommelier competitions for sake from where? From Austria. There w a s、uh, teachers from London, from、uh, Sweden, kind of all over. Importers from Australia.、Mm. Yeah. Wow. Lots of impressive people in that room. Why? How many people were in the class? So that time we had 15. And、wow. this is the third year they've done the class.、Mm. So I think this is the biggest so far. And in the past, they've only done about 10. Wow. Yeah. So sounds very competitive. Yeah, yeah. We, they had over 50 people apply, I think,、mm. and kind of write essays in and explain how they could get there. Right.、Yeah. Well, actually, I looked up. So the name of that, the academic pro- program is、mm-hmm. Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association Academy. Yes. Right. You're going to say it fast. No, 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 no. There's <laughs>、yeah. no shortcut. <laughs> so, and, and、uh, there's a website I saw,、uh, it's、uh, the sakebunka.jp、mm-hmm. slash academy. So,、yes. sakebunka. Bunka is B U N K A.jp slash academy. So, listeners, if you're interested. <laughs> yes, if you're interested, please apply. <laughs> Love to have more, more people involved in the program.、Mm, it sounds like an amazing program. Yeah, it's really, really world class. You know, as far as people attending and also the lectures.、Mm, right. And、uh, also, you joined、um, the awesome podcast, The Sake on Air. Yes. For an episode. Yes.、Right? I checked it was not on air yet. Not on yet. Right. So, that taping, we also had、uh, through our class, we did, you know, real life practical,、um, you know, pairing dinners and situations. So, one night we had gone out for a big shochu pairing dinner and we were at an izakaya. So, At the Izakaya,、um, Justin Potts, who runs that podcast,、mm-hmm. along with、uh, Chris Pellegrini,、mm. they came to kind of film us. And Justin helped out with the class, too.、Mm. He was our translator interpreter for that class. Okay. So,、right, so do these names are really like if you're in Japan, in the second industry, they're like, yeah, they're like you know, huge names. Right.、Yeah. And、uh, their podcast, they're still on only、uh, slightly over 10 episodes. Yeah, still growing. But Sake on Air. And it's so informative. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, they're like incredibly knowledgeable.、Mm. Uh, they've got a great perspective as far as being in Japan,、um, but not Japanese and helping coordinate tourism, helping coordinate, you know, kind of outreach for sake.、Mm. And they've started this podcast, which is, you know, super, super knowledgeable. You can tell they、right. really know what they're talking about.、Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think、uh, I have a sense of they're trying to connect the whole industry. Yeah. Like globally. Yeah, exactly. So, I yeah,、that. I think even、uh, Brooklyn Kura was just on、mm, recently. Right. They had an episode. Yeah. So, well,、uh, so you know ho- when? hopefully you can look forward to the episode. So, like I said, it was at an izakaya during a dinner. So, they were doing kind of this live, like、mm. from the bar, from the、okay. restaurant podcast. So, I know there was a lot of editing going into it. So,、mm. I'm not sure when it'll be out finally.、Right. Okay, so, but the, their dis- description is pretty clear each time, so I'll, I'll look for、yeah. it, right? So it's sake on there, listeners.、Um, so, and one in Japan, you also attended、uh, trade shows and gave advice on best practices for bringing sake to the US.、Mm-hmm. So, what are the biggest issues for sake breweries to, 
in order to bring sake to America? Yeah, so actually that trade show I was helping out and we had sake as well as food products.、Mm. And there was a few you know, different vendors, and that was in Okayama, and it was all local,、uh, local vendors. And I think overall, food and sake together, really the big kind of impact, the thing that would help the most is always packaging.、Mm. Um, I was talking about this with someone recently, especially for food products. Sometimes the packaging that they use in Japan. Consumers in America have never seen before and they're not sure how to interact with it.、Mm. They don't know if they should use it like a jam or if they should drink it or, you know, the way it's packaged, the way that we pick it up and use it is kind of dictated by、mm. what we know. So, for instance,、uh, a black garlic spread、mm. is kind of in this plastic bag with a cap on top that if you have never been to Japan, never seen anything like that, you might not know what to do with it.、Mm. And I think that can be said for sake too that we get so many really beautiful traditional labels with really great calligraphy. But for a lot of our consumers in the US,、mm. those start to blend together if you don't read Japanese.、Mm. If it's, you know, if sometimes the idea can be to keep the packaging simple and let you enjoy the sake.、Right. But if we don't know what we're reading,、mm. we don't know what we're getting into, it might be hard to choose. <laughs> Especially because it's going to go into your body. Yeah,、so. exactly.、Right. Yeah, people can be wary of that.、Mm. So you're saying that it's kind of not just sake. And of course, lab labels should、mm-hmm. be easily understandable. Yeah. In the form of back label、mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, and that's you know, a discussion that we have with our producers as well that,、um, you know, as much as people don't realize, there's a lot of decisions going into this and a lot of thoughts kind of in the back of your head of you might be willing to buy. A bottle if it's blue more than if it's brown.、Mm. And if the label has a really engaging graphic or image on it, that might be easier to understand than text in a foreign language you might not、mm. be able to read. Right. So it's more about、um, consumer perception. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and that's something that you know, we try to help with every day too, as far as education on sake and you know, learning a little bit about. The culture and learning enough that you can kind of help yourself and figure out what to choose and then decide what you like.、Mm, right. Well, fortunately, I think sake is becoming a cool drink. Yeah.、Right? Yeah, thankfully. So, right. So, all thanks to you and these, those people who are really、uh, um, taking leadership in this country. And all the people you've had on your show, too. Really great people who've been working in this industry for much, much longer than I have about, you know, all the painstaking work of getting it to be this kind of cool thing. Mm hmm. So, I think there's also,、uh, you know, we are forming a community of sake promotion globally too. So, that's amazing.、Um, okay, so to look back, you know, on reflection, what is your takeaway from the trip? Yeah, takeaway. It was a long trip at the time, and now it feels like it went by so quickly now that I'm back.、Um, but my experience, I mean, it really was like jumping into the textbooks and More so than just reading about all these things, but meeting the people who've been doing it for the last 40 years. And that kind of experience with seeing the brewer like put her hands in the rice and saying, okay, it's 50 degrees.、Mm. Or sitting with one of the owners of the brewery and,、um, you know, he asked me what I thought, how a sake tasted. And I said, oh, you know, it's a little caramelly, it's a little dry. And he drank it and he said, oh, you know what? It's because the water was kind of hard. 
there's a lot mm-hmm. of minerals in the water that made the sake. And having those kind of like mind blowing, mm-hmm. eye opening experiences of people who know so much about what they're doing. Right. And it's not written in textbooks. And it's not written in textbooks. And there's no good way to communicate that other than really seeing it for yourself. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. Wow. So that's now what I'm trying to do. Like, okay, how do I get that feeling conveyed to people here? How do I bring that back with me? Mm. Well, I think by just by saying little things like mm-hmm. you asked and you understood. Really opens up everybody's. It's real, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's exciting. Um, okay. So, um, are you planning to go back next year? Or yeah, I'm hoping so. You know, if I can get over there. Um, you know, we've been talking about. I went to eight different breweries. Plus, I got to see another one with the class. But with our company, we work with twenty different breweries. Right. So there's still plenty <laughs> to visit. Other places in Japan right. to go to. Mm. Lots of more food to eat. Right. <laughs> Okay. Um, all right. I want to keep asking more questions, but we have to wrap up. So where can we find you online? Yeah. So you can find us at saketotheworld.com. That's a new website. The new website. Yes. Mm. Yeah. The one we were talking about last time. Yeah. So saketotheworld.com. Yes. And mm. as always, you can find us at Go Sakeman for Instagram. And you can see lots of great pictures from my trip as well. Mm. Great. Wonderful. So keep me posted and uh, maybe you can come back sometime soon. Yeah, hopefully. All right. All right. So thank you for joining us today, Peter. Thank you. All right. So if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at Heritage Radio Network. Um, that's Japanese at HeritageRadioNetwork.org or Kikotem.com. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at HeritageRadioNetwork.org, iTunes, Sitcha, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer today is uh, um, Matt Patterson. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.